to. Hello and welcome to the 23rd of these podcasts from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Ulva and Gometra. I'm Alistair Sanchel, I live outside of Dervig in the north of Mull and I'll be your host today. In this episode, I talk with Andrina Duffin. As you'll hear, Andrina has lived all over the world, but has never been more than six months without being back on Mull. When she was younger, her family owned Eray Farm, outside of Tobermory, which she talks about around 15 minutes into her chat. Her parents then moved over to Ulva Ferry, from where her father ran boat trips to Staffa. There's so much detail in Andrina's conversation, it's quite remarkable. I don't really want to spoil it for you, but if you're interested in ghost stories or a certain Scottish monster, then this is the episode for you. You can find links to the topics in the text accompanying this file or on the website at whatwedointhewinter.com. The whole What We Do in the Winter project has been sponsored in kind by the Island Bakery, and everyone who takes part in it gets a complimentary packet of lemon melts, which are always gratefully received. I'll be back with a little bit more info at the end of the podcast. And now, I'm very pleased to hand you over to Andrina Duffin. Can I ask, who are you? I'm Andrina Duffin. I was Andrina Anderson. And my mum and dad bought Airy Farm, gosh, in the early 50s. So I was brought up here. Um, We then moved to Alva Ferry. So um, all my later youth was spent at Alva Ferry. And where did your parents come from beforehand? My dad came from Sutherland and my mum came from Dumfrieshire. So I reckon they thought that Mull was halfway. (laughs) Whereabouts in Sutherland was your dad from? A place called Rose Hall. Mm -hmm. His mother was widowed in the First World War. My grandfather was killed and he won the Victoria Cross and his three brothers were all killed. Um, they actually came from Fife, from Strathairlie, but Granny, Granny's father bought Rose Hall and he owned more of Sutherland than the Duke of Sutherland. <laughs> and we used to have wonderful times with Granny up at Invergordon, telling us all the stories about Rose Hall and Sutherland and... Um, my sister has got all the photographs of early life in, well, the early 1900s in yeah. Sutherland. Um, but Dad used to go to Aris Mains for his holidays. All right, OK. And Mum spent a lot of her teenage years at Nock and Toloisk. So she knew the island and she was a Gaelic speaker. So um, um, I think Mal. They always wanted to come to Mull. So what was your grand like? What was... Oh, Granny was wonderful. Um, what was her name? Her name was Gertrude Gilmore, and she married an Anderson, Gertrude Ann. But she was always known as Mousie. And she was quite a wee lady, but she had story after story after story. And we'd drive round Russia, Sutherland, yeah. all around the north, and she would tell us stories about... Oh, Bonnie Prince Charlie Montrose, or who lived in the big house yeah. and how she'd stalked up that hill. I suppose she was mainly brought up at the foot of Loch Lomond, um, near Alexandria. Yeah. I think most of her holidays and most of her life had been up in Rose Hall. And then when her um, husband was killed, there were no men left in the family. So... 
the three sisters sold Rose Hall and they had a little house at Little Ferry, just um, oh, just near Doorknock, really, Little Ferry. Um, and that's where my father was brought up. And are there any stories of that time that particularly stay in your imagination at all of, of Sutherland and the land? Is there any kind of one that stands out at all? I think the, the one that I liked best of all was um, they used to go across Loch Erebel because they had a... Um, a big house up there, one of the shooting lodges. And Granny used to describe the first carriage had her mother and the second carriage had the children and the cook. <laughs> and they always got stuck because it was too rough on Loch Erebel. So Granny always used to say, it's terrible Erebel up Loch Erebel. We had a ghost in Erie. Did you? Have you ever talked to Harry Hickford? Not yet. No, he's on the list. Yeah. Harry will tell you about the ghost. Yeah. Could you, could you say a little bit about that? Yeah. I think she was a McKinnon who wanted to marry a McLean, but her father wouldn't let her. And so he locked her up in the house, well, the steading at Harry. And once a year, Harry, he used to be sitting down in the wee sitting room he used to hear someone come down the stairs, feel the swish of a dress go past, and she'd go into the wee kitchen, and about half an hour later she'd come back and go up the stairs. And that was about once a year, Harry used to say. But my mother's family had a real proper ghost. They were Jardines. Mm -hmm. They lived in a castle called Spedlins, which is near Lockerbie. There was a miller, and actually he was the illegitimate son of the Jardine chief, and he had a row with the, the chief, and the chief put him in the bottleneck dungeon in Spedlin's Castle. Oh goodness! And then um, I think it was—I think he was Sir William at Jardine. He had to go to Edinburgh. The date of this was about 1680, and he took the key of the dungeon with him. Oh! And Portius, who was the ghost, he um, starved to death. Yeah. Anyway, he put a curse on the family, saying that he would haunt the castle um, until they built a house across the river. And he did. He haunted the family. And they brought a big Bible and they chained it to the one of the windowsills in the... In the it was a sort of keep, yeah. a border keep. And he was called Dunty because he chewed his arm off. Oh, my goodness. And Dunty used to turn the pages and rattle the um, chain and he would appear in white clothes because he was a miller. Yeah. And eventually in 1830, they, the family built Jardine Hall across the river and because ghosts can't cross rivers, yeah. he um, didn't come across the river. But when my mother was wee, she said she remembered in Jardine Hall asking who was, why was Daddy in white pyjamas down at the end of the passage. Um, and the present, well, my cousin's wife still thinks that the ghost haunts the Jardines. Poor, poor Dunty. I know. Poor thing. But actually I'm in touch with, because I've written, I've written the history of the Jardine family. Oh, cool. And um, going back to 1124, the Porsche's family actually have joined the clan, the Jardine clan. Um, and I'm in touch with the descendants of the Porsches of the ghost. Goodness me. That's quite something. I know, it's, it's a fascinating story. 
So the Jardines, um, so that's your your mum's side of the family. Yeah. So eleven. What? So who who are the first people in the eleven hundreds that are Jardines? Um, they came actually came over with Robert the Bruce. I think. The, From Normandy. Yes. Um, you know there were eight generations of Bruces before King Robert the Bruce. Well, he came over with some early ones, and I think he was a knight in the train of the Bruce family. Okay. Um, because we have records of him. The Bruces, I think, first went to Huntingdonshire, uh-huh. and then they gradually moved up to Scotland. And when the Bruce became Lord of Annandale, he gave the Jardines some land, which is actually called Applegarth, which is near Lockerbie. Okay. They first built a Motton Bailey castle. Gosh, they're really old, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's... You can see where the Mott was. It's in the manse garden of the old church at Applegarth. And then they built Spedlins in 1460, and that's a border keep. And then in 1830, they built um, a grand house. I think William Byrne was the architect, as far as I can find out, at Jardine Hall across the river. But the family actually sold up in 1888. But my... This was the son of Sir William Jardine, who was a very famous naturalist. He started, well, it wasn't a magazine, a book called The Naturalist Library, and that was started in 1832. And Edward Lear was one of the illustrators. Oh, fantastic. I'll show you, actually. I've got three little birds that were sent from Trinidad and Tobago, sent back to my grandfather to identify a name. Wow. And his daughter who was married to another naturalist called Strickland, um, she would illustrate them. And he, there's a whole room to Jardine in the Natural History Museum in London. Oh, fantastic. He was an amazing man. Wow. And he, the upstairs, the top stairs of Jardine Hall was all his collection. Because in those days they didn't have photographs, so they used to kill one bird and and it was sent back to be illustrated. But he... Um, and two other quite famous naturalists did a wonderful trip to Sutherland in the 1830s. They went up to Inverness. They hired a boat and two ponies, and the ponies pulled this boat with all their equipment, and they lived. They stayed three months in the flow country, a lot of the time living under the boat as shelter, and they were the first people... Well, to actually document the wildlife up in Sutherland. Gosh. So Google Sir William Jardine. He's, I will do. Thank he's you, a yeah. really interesting guy. He has a hummingbird in oh. Ecuador named after him. So your mum's folks are Jardines. What was the other half of the family? What was your mother's mother? Um, they were young. Um, they were called Young. And they lived in the big house <clears throat> by Lynn Abbey. Do you know Lincluden Abbey? That? It's just outside Dumfries. Okay. Lincluden was quite an important, or the Abbey was really important. It was one of the last Roman Catholic abbeys in Scotland. Oh, right, gosh. Um, and then it was pulled down. Um, and there were various conferences about border wars in Lincluden Abbey. So it's, it's a very interesting place. So were the families involved in the border struggles at all? Yes, absolutely. Wow. Were they reavers? Yes. <laughs> Brilliant reavers. They were... Um, Land pirates. Absolutely. And 
Um, I don't know if you've read um, George Campbell Fraser's Border Reavers. No, I haven't. No, I've, that's really I've seen interesting. The past. Yeah. It's funny because the Jardines. Well, there's only one song about the Battle of Otterburn, and the Jardines would know we him. We them ride, and they rue it to this day. It you know fell upon a summer's day. What was interesting at the Battle of Flodden? Yes, the Jardine was actually the messenger for James the Fourth. Oh God! And he was in France at that time, um, taking letters from from sorry from James the Fourth yeah. to the King and Queen of France, yeah. and the Queen of France seemed to have had a crush on him because it, she wrote very um, flatteringly about this young Jardine, who was the messenger. Um, and so that's why they weren't killed at Flodden. Because right. the Maxwells were killed. I think the Johnsons, all, all the... Jamie the Fourth was killed as yes, well. Yes, yeah, yeah. all, all the people around. But the Jardine guy, he was a messenger for yeah. James the Fourth. James the Fourth being a great European king as well. Superb linguist. We were such Europeans. I know. You, where were you born? I was actually born in Edinburgh. Right. Um, at that time, my parents lived in a house called Rohallion, which is near Murthley. Oh, yeah, in the city of Perthshire. Yes. I've got a pal who lives in Murthley. Oh, have you? Yeah, the, in the grounds of the old uh, asylum. Oh, right, yes. Mm. Gosh, well, Rohallion, it was owned by the Stuart Fotheringhams, mm. you know, who owned, I think it was a dower house. And it was a wonderful house. We had a loch beside it and... Any time I've ever seen a wildcat, oh. um, the loch used to freeze up every winter, and a wildcat walked across the loch. Mum and Dad had a strawberry farm there Fantastic. until well, it was during Korea because my father went to Korea, and that was when they bought Erie and we moved to Erie. So, what was the impetus for your family to buy Erie? Well, I know from my father, he had this great idea of going farming in Argentina. Oh, wow. A gaucho. Yeah. <laughs> and I think because he was, he was quite a good rider. And I think they wanted a farm. And mum had the connections um, with Mal because mm-hmm. Alwyn Farquharson of Torloisk, he was my godfather. Right, OK. And also the Mazarines. Um, I think mum was a sort of social secretary to Lazy, Lady Mazarine. Um, so she knew Mal very well. And Eri came up and Miss Horseman, who owned Derry, then moved across to Dribnin. And so we bought the farm. Then we were in Hong Kong. Goodness me. Because um, Dad was coming Jardine back. Jardine House. <laughs> yes. They weren't the... <laughs> that was the banking clan, though, wasn't it? <laughs> that, was, um, that was quite funny, because our story about that was that this young Jardine came to the chief, put my great-great-grandpa or something, and asked for some money, because he was going to go to the work for East India Company. So he went out to Calcutta, but he wasn't very clever, so he was sacked. And um, he was going to come back to the UK, but um, he got on the wrong ship and ended up in China. (laughs) That's our story about it, but I don't think that's the story that the Jardines and the Keswicks and the Landales... (laughs) Well, I think, um, what did you call him, James Clavel's got a different story again entirely. Yes, yes. I've I've written quite a lot about that Jardine in my book. Right. And he was an amazing man. Because right. it was he who started the gunboat diplomacy. Okay. Right. Well, I don't know how good or bad that is, but that was Pretty his brutal. idea. <laughs> and because when he retired, he came back and he was a member of parliament for a constituency in England. Um, although he bought a house just outside Doon. 
Um, but he, he he advised the English government on on the affairs with China. And what were your parents doing in, in Hong Kong? What was what took them there? Oh, Dad, um, he'd been in Korea, mm-hmm. and then he was brigade major okay. in Hong Kong for a year, and then we came back to Mull. What did you make of Hong Kong as a wee person? Loved it. Yeah. We didn't have a quarter for the first month, and we lived in the Repulse Bay Hotel on the island. Very nice. Um, and in those days, there was no built-up. You know, Aberdeen was a, spe- a separate place. A wee fishing place, yeah. Yes. And um, we stayed for a month in this wonderful hotel, and then our quarter was ready, and it was across in Kowloon. I mean, we were there in, what, 1952, I think. Okay. And Dad was right up on the new territories. He was wow. up there. Past the Gold Coast, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, we used to go to school. We used to be picked up in the three-tonner army lorries. <laughs> no school buses for us. Fantastic. <laughs> um, I, loved, I loved being in Hong Kong, actually. Yeah. It was before the commercial, yeah. before there was nothing like yeah. that then. Yeah. It was quite simple. With lovely people. I loved the people. Yeah. Aye. What was Eddie like to grow up in? Because Eddie's somewhere that's always kind of, I've never managed to make it out. It's just over there, but yeah, I've never managed to make it out there at all. And it was the main one of the main settlements on the island for a long yes. time. What was it like to be there as a child? It was absolute bliss, heaven. I can't because we lived in the big house mm-hmm. then, um, and Harry and Iona lived in um, in the steading, and actually Donnie and Kathy McFadgen also lived in the wee house at the back. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a big walled garden, which still had the box hedges, but we didn't use that. Um, mum, mum didn't have time to to do it because she managed the farm because my father was away all the time. Um, and Harry was um, our manager after we had a couple of very interesting managers, and then we got Harry. He came from the borders. He came from near Echelfeld. Mm-hmm. He was about 23 when he came <laughs> and he was just a great guy. And he and I took our driving tests on the same day on the island and he failed and I passed. <laughs> mm. I think he's passed since though, hasn't he? Oh, yes. <laughs> he was a driver for McBrains and all sorts of things. But um, the, the other thing about Erie was my mum was really a, a sociable person and it was mm. always full of people. We had one time. How she got involved, I don't know, but there were American debutantes came to... <laughs> they came over to go to Queen Charlotte's Ball in London and they stayed in three places in Scotland and we used to put up ten of them. Right. These beautiful girls would come up. We'd meet them off the boat with our tractor. <laughs> <laughs> And at that time... Have you met Lady Astor? Yes, come on up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Chris Cotton's father was commanding... I think we did it two or three years running. Chris Cotton's father was commanding a frigate. Mm -hmm. And it coincided that the frigate was here at the same time as these girls were were with us. And Mum organised a Cayley for them one night and a cocktail party on the frigate the next night. (laughs) That's brilliant. That's the sort of memories you'd want. Uh, Eri was just wonderful. And I bred Highland ponies. Oh, cool. I was talking to Alison Bartholomew yesterday. Yeah. And her sister, Kirsty McKenzie, 
had a wonderful stallion called Fingal. And Fingal used to spend a lot of time with us because I had, I had about four or five Highland ponies. And we used to ride right out past Bloody Bay. And I mean, riding was just bliss. Oh, it's perfect up there for that yes. so, kind of rolling countryside. Yes, it's beautiful. Because I think the Elwes did um, pony trekking. Mm. It's beautiful pony trekking countryside. Oh. Yeah. And oh, we had everything. We had hens, which I hated. Um, Were the evil hens? Yes. Okay. Oh, clockers. You had to go and get the eggs from underneath them and they'd peck you. Right. Uh, we had two milk cows. And at the weekends, we had to milk them ourselves if um, Harry or Donnie weren't there. So we learned to milk. We worked with the sheep. We did the harvest. I can remember one time when we were haymaking, old Mr. McLeod, the minister, he came up and helped us on a Saturday with the harvest. And so on the Sunday, Dad took us all to church. <laughs> and my father sat in the front pew and went sound asleep all through the sermon. <laughs> but Mr. McLeod, he was, a, he was quite a nice guy, actually. But he'd been up and helped us with the harvest. The farming community was really involved then because at that time, the Mansfield had no houses in it. Mm. So the night before... The boat, I think it was the Loch Caron used to come in for the sheep. And Glengorm's sheep, everybody's sheep would be put in the night before into Mansfield. And then they'd be driven down and loaded onto the boat. And then we'd all get on the boat, all the dogs, all the shepherds. And then they'd get off at the North Pier in Oban and we'd drive them along the main street to Corson's. Um, That's brilliant. <laughs> And, and that was right in the heart of town. I didn't know that about Mansfield at all. Yes, it was. It was just all. It was a. It was a good um, arable. Well, it wasn't arable, but a good grass field. We kept it good grass. And in those days, you know, we grew rape for the for the lambs. We grew um, corn. I remember sheaves of corn. We had to stook the sheaves of corn and things like that. Gosh. And we had ricks. We would make wee ricks in the field. Hi. And then we had this rick lifter that you, you, it was a, quite a low trailer and you, it went like that and you'd lever the rick up onto the trailer and, and take it up into the, and the barn's still there. That's amazing. Yeah. That, that, that must have been going on for generations upon yes, generations. Yes, I think farming, because I read Tea with Chrissy the other day. Yeah. And we farmed just like they did. And you didn't have boats, you didn't have a lorry to take your sheep or your cattle off. We were self-sufficient in hay and, and winter because you couldn't get winter feed. Right. You didn't get the... What did you do? Did you grow um, turnips or something like that for our... We grew turnips. We Dad was one of the first people on the island to do silage. Really? A great big silage pit. Gosh. Um, before you got the bags, we had yeah. the pit that you rolled with the tractor. So I learnt to drive rolling the silage pit on the tra- <laughs> tractor. Um, yeah, I learnt to drive at 14 on the tractor. Brilliant. Um, no, we had an idyllic life. And we used to swim in the swimming pool, you know, the old swimming pool. No, I don't know about the old swimming pool. Where's that? Oh, just round the bay there, just round from the lifeboat. Ah. You know there's a concrete level there? Yes. Where th- those were all old bathing boxes. Wow. I'd love to see photos of that. That'd be amazing to see. They the should be in the museum, yeah. yes. yes. Um, when we were there, we never actually used the bathing boxes because they were a wee bit run down, but you could still see the different colours. And there was a diving board. I dived off it once and dived onto a stinging jellyfish. Oh, yeah. 
Um, and we used to come down here at four o'clock every second afternoon because the King George used to come round to Iona and we'd, it would come in quite fast so we'd get the wake and so we'd swim through the waves and that was our treat. That's lovely. Yeah. Um, and we used to come from Erie just, I suppose, we, yes, we'd come along the old lighthouse path mm-hmm. just over the hill mm-hmm. and down. So you really had the best of both town and country. We had everything, yes. We were lucky, yeah. So what made the family move to Alpha Ferry Way? Farming didn't produce enough money to keep three children. I'd left school. The other three were all at boarding school. So my father got a job with the civil defence in Perth um, and we rented a house near Perth at Glenarmond and Dad worked for the civil defence for three years and... When the civil defence folded, he then cashed in his pension and bought a boat. Gosh, that was brave. Yes. And we bought the wee house at Alva Ferry for £4,000 from the Howards, because it was the Howards' house. And um, Mum and Dad decided they were going to do mini-living. And we were really chucked out. (laughs) Um, yeah, we were chucked out. I was 18, so I was, was fine. Or was I uh, older than that? No, I was older than that. I, I'd been away because I emigrated to America. Um, I worked as a cook on a dude ranch in Wyoming. <laughs> what? What on earth? Why? How? Um, well, I'd always read cowboy books. Louis Lemur and people like that. Yeah, Zane Grey. Raiders of the Purple Sage. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, I got a job in a ski resort first, and for the winter, and because I learnt to ski properly, mm. and then I went across to Wyoming, and worked as a cook on the Dude Ranch. And how was that? Was that a wonderful experience? Absolutely fantastic. It was out of this world, and we did pack trips. Um, dudes, well, these people from Chicago used to come out, and we'd take them on the old Overland Trail. Oh, my God, that must have been amazing. And um, <laughs> they would ride every day. And there was myself and another girl. And we had to drive a truck and a Land Rover and trailer. And the boss, Ted, used to say, right, girls, go 10 miles down that road. You'll see a, um, a tree struck by lightning. There's a track that goes up to the left. Follow that road. Go over that mountain there and come down and you'll find the campsite. And we used to do it. We found yeah. our way. We set up these tepees and then I'd have to cook the dinner and we had sourdough and all these Fantastic. things. And we had three days when we were in one camp and I got to ride and we were riding over the, the, the um, ancient trails and we were above the snow line in the herds of oh, elk. No way. It was an amazing experience. Yeah. That's the sort of thing you dream about. Mm. Gosh. Well, my boss had caught the last wild horse in Wyoming and we had her daughter. What and was he, she like? Well, it was uh, skewballed. Um, what does that mean? I don't know that term. Um, black and white. Okay. No, she was red, red and white. Piebald is black and white. Yeah. Skewballed is... Um, and she was quite a tough... The daughter was quite tough. Yeah. Um, but... It, they had a girl from the east who trained the horses, who broke in the horses, and we became very friendly, Terry and I, and I used to go and help her break in the horses. Mm. Um, slightly different from the way I broke in my horses here, but 
it was quite interesting. But we got to ride, we got... And I had a boyfriend who was a rodeo rider. <laughs> and we Why, went, hello. <laughs> I mean, it was absolutely amazing. And, and we used to go to the rodeos. And um, because I was with him, we were allowed to go into the ring. And then as soon as the bull bucked him off or something, we'd run, jump over the, um, over the fence. Um, and that was, that was wild. It was Laramie Radio. Laramie was the nearest town, but we also did the Cheyenne Frontier Days. Oh, my goodness. Um, three days of that. Um, yeah, I was very lucky. Wow. So by the time the family were in Alva Ferry, you were off having your own adventures. Yes. And proper adventures at that. Yeah. Did you ever see the film uh, Junior Bonner at all by no. Sam Peckinpah? No. It's um, Steve McQueen as the last of a rodeo riders. Right. Exhibition Rodeo Riders with his family and there's barroom brawls and everything and it's it's wonderful oh, it's, wow. it's so much heart to it it's a lovely film it's the most intimate uh, of Sam Peckinpah's films I've seen because they're normally right. really crass and violent yes. and sell it, glorify violence this is about a family and it's an elegy to a family it's beautiful So from from cooking in a dude ranch, where did you go from there? <laughs> I came back to Scotland, and I, when Duart Castle opened, I was the first guide round Duart Castle. Ah, fantastic! Um, and I also worked on Iona with Fiona. She was Fiona Mackenzie then. Um, Fiona Gully. Do you know Eddie Gully? No. From Shuna. Okay. Um, Fiona had a shop, <clears throat> and we worked there, which was great because. Um, David Kilpatrick. Oh, yes. John McInnes, Ian Dougal. We were all of an age mm-hmm. and we all went up to the mod together one year in Inverness. Um, we had a great time on Iona. And then in the winters, I went to, um, I did a winter in Zermatt and a winter in Verbier, skiing the whole winter. Wow. That was why, when I came back, my father, I also crewed for dad some of the time, going out to Stafford. Mm-hmm. Um, my father, when I was about 26, said, it's time you got a proper job. I've cut this out from the Scotsman. And it's a manager of a bar in Edinburgh. So I said, Dad, I don't drink. That doesn't matter. I think it's time you got a proper job. So I went and I worked for Ushers. And I had <laughs> the first month I had as an apprentice... Um, in a, a pub on that road that comes down from the city chambers down to Waverley Bridge. Coburn Street. Yeah, Coburn Street, that's right. I was in a pub there. And all the city councillors used to come down after their meetings. Mm. And my gosh, they certainly used to proposition you. No, I <laughs> and then I'm, I took over the White Hart. And in the I grass worked, market? Yes, I worked there for a year. Fantastic. And we had a lot, because Harriet Watt University was still there. Right. And I did a special student's lunch, so we became very popular for lunch. Fantastic. What did that consist of? What, the... Student's lunch, Oh, I used to do mince and tatties or good stews or big soups. Just really home cooking. Lovely. Um, Spaghetti. And it was very, very cheap. And I actually made quite a big profit on it. What period was that? Was it the early 60s? Yes, it was 67. So... Because I got married in 69. Okay. Yeah, 67. It 
68. So you were managing a pub in Edinburgh. <laughs> That's quite remarkable. Where did, where did married life take you? Oh my gosh. Um, <clears throat> first year of my marriage, we were in Berlin. Oh, I've just got back from Berlin a couple of weeks ago. What a city. I love oh, Berlin. Oh, it's amazing. But it was interesting because my father was stationed in Berlin, and I remember. Mm. And when we were there, it was not long after the war, and we actually lived in Goebbels' house on oh, the Havel, which was the most amazing house. It had the most beautiful frescoes in the dining room, and it was right above the Havel with statues all around the roof. When I went out there as a young bride of an army officer, we had quarters in the garden of one of the big houses where we used to live. Berlin is such a, a wonderful place to be. Right. And we went to the East a lot. We used to go to the opera in the East. Uh, And that was still when the wall was there. So you had to be back over by midnight. Berlin's a city I could easily live in. It's got such a family feel to it as well. I was so taken with it. Yes. uh, Berlin is wonderful, yep. And then, where did we go after Berlin? We came back to Edinburgh. And I had my two boys in Edinburgh. Mm. But that was mixed with Northern Ireland. Oh, right, Um, The men did four months stints in Northern Ireland, but that was really six months because they had to do two months training before they went. And I think my husband did seven tours of duty there. And um, it was very difficult because I lost some great friends in Northern Ireland. Yes. Um, I never thought I'd end up living there, which I did. Yes. We were in Edinburgh. And then we went back to Germany. We were in Osnabrück. Which again, I, I loved being in Germany because there were so many different things you could go and see. And then luckily we came back. Oh no, we were with, with um, NATO because we were in Holland and then Belgium. Um, what about in Holland, were you? Holland, we were um, at Ma- near Maastricht. Oh yeah. And, and then we moved to Belgium. We I were like Belgium. Yeah, we were quite near um, Waterloo. All right. we, my husband was stationed in Mons, but we lived in a farmhouse on the top of a hill. Right, okay. Um, outside. Right. I've been to Mons in the past, yeah. Yes. It's fascinating that the first shots and the last shots of the First World War were just within spitting distance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what did they achieve? Nothing. Yeah. There was a very nice naval couple, um, Anne Pohl, and she's written several books about poetry. Mm-hmm. And we used to read, like Wilfred Owen or mm-hmm. Jane, Julian Grenfell or somebody, Charles Hampton Sawley, and then the weekend, we'd go off and visit the battlefield where they fought or mm. where they were buried. Yes. Uh, and that was really interesting. We went to Ypres quite a lot, and I found all yeah. my uncles and grandfather's grave. And that's how my son... I'll give you the book, actually. My, my son's written a book about him. I'd love that. Um, uh, and that's how my son got interested in, in well, the First World War. So we- you were in Edinburgh um, and you travelled to uh, Belgium and Holland. And what what brought you back to Mull? Look. Well, indeed. <laughs> well, my mum, mum and dad were always here, and Minty came back. Oh, Minty's been back what twenty five years. So, what did you do when you when you came here first? Were you were you still married to your previous husband, or were you with Nico? Or? My previous husband didn't really like Mull. Oh. And I think my father was his commanding officer. 
Ah. And they never really got on. But every holidays I would bring... I never went anywhere else for my holidays. It was always here. And Alva Ferry is just the most beautiful place in the world. Um, it and really is, yeah. The boys, and my older son, Robin, they come here every year. I don't know. Once you've lived here, and I've always loved out-of-the-way places because I loved Wyoming. And my love affair with Zimbabwe started 20 years ago when my younger son went out there. Living in Zimbabwe, you know, we had no electricity mm. sometimes. You have the same problems. You battle with the elements. Um, yeah. You've got lovely people. It's a very relaxed life. Um, and I think I like, that's what I like. And I like being able to walk. And I love the sea. Yeah. We've certainly got a perfect spot here for it. Well, with Nico, you see, we've sailed. We've sailed around Ireland. Yes. We used to go every winter, every second winter one we'd go to Africa till we bought our house and the other we'd go bareboat chartering a, a yacht and we'd sail in the Caribbean or off the coast of Africa you can bareboat charter anywhere and it's the cheapest way to holiday wow. um, wow. so sailing we didn't manage to get right round Scotland we, we went up as far as Allapool mm-hmm. and we'd been over to Stornoway and all around that Good. the mentions no it's not easy <laughs> We had a 35-foot yacht for 10 years and we sailed 8,000 miles in her, all in these waters. You had a great story when we were chatting the other day about uh, travelling through Loch Ness as well. Oh, about the Loch Ness Monster? Yes. Can you say a little bit about the Loch Ness Monster, please? (laughs) Well, one year the weather wasn't very good, so we decided we'd go up the Caledonian Canal. And going up, we had good sailing weather and we sailed up Loch Ness, no problem. But we had this forward-sounding, forward, well, it was an echo sounder that would go ahead so you could yeah. see where the rocks were coming. And we always had this on. Coming back down Loch Ness, we were just off Urquhart Castle when this big splodge appeared on the um, echo sounder. And it was about 30 foot beneath us and it was quite large and it didn't stay in the same place. It would go a wee bit to one side and a wee bit to the other. So Nico took a photograph of this, um, of the echo sounder. Anyway, after about a mile and a half, this thing disappeared and we motored the rest of the way down the loch. And we were slightly, I don't know what the word was, not worried, but um, well, we were not sure what, what it was. And when we um, got to Fort Augustus, the guy who took our ropes, we said, we've just had this strange experience. We've had something underneath our boat. And he said, oh, yes. He said, um, I've been up here 20 years now. And, and I've seen when I was, we had a picnic at Foyers one day, and I know I saw the Loch Ness Monster. So we sent the photograph to the um, makers of the Echo Sounder. Yeah. And they said, we don't know what it was. It wasn't a shoal of fish. It said, all we can say was something big underneath your boat. Quite something. Well, I've always, my great aunt always said she saw it in the 30s. Um, and, I, and obviously St. Columba was the first person to record it. So there's something there. But I think it's rather nice that we can't explain it. I think that's the best, yeah. Yeah. The other. Yes. 
So how long have you been on Mull now? Three years now. Gosh. But I don't think I've ever been away from Mull for longer than six months. Really? When my mum was ill, I was here every two months. Yeah. I remember her and her Pomeranians. <laughs> Pick and easy. Pick and easy, yes. yes. <laughs> Yappy things. Yes, she was quite a character. Yeah, yeah. She was the only person I know who's registered blind and still driving. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you glad you didn't know that at the time? Oh gosh, I remember another gentleman who used to live around here who had a bit of white sellotape in the middle of the, the steering wheel so he knew which bit was the middle of the wheel. I remember coming in the Hebridean Princess and Mum always used to come and she'd stand as and everybody that got off the, the ship she'd Good afternoon, are you enjoying your food? Yeah. <laughs> I used to get so embarrassed. Mum, yeah. Um, and um, then one time we were leaving and Mum had come down to say goodbye and I said, oh, that's one of the old characters of Mull. And, <laughs> and this guy looked at me and said, well, you're not far off it. <laughs> I think because I used to tell them so many stories. Ah, yeah. Um, <laughs> he said... We said something like, I mean, not about my age, but about that, that I was a character or something. Because um, I, I am a bit of a... Skilocha. A storyteller. <laughs> Thank you so much, Andrina. It was absolutely brilliant to spend time in your company. There's so much more to talk about. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Now, does this music mean anything to you? Well, although we don't talk about it in this episode, Andrina had a significant role in the film When Eight Bells Toll. In the coming months, I'm going to pull together an episode on the filming of When Eight Bells Toll, which was made on and around Mull. I'm looking to chat to anyone who was involved in the filming or anyone who has a particular affection for the film. And, it's a bit of a long stretch, I know, I'm trying to see if I can get a few minutes to interview Anthony Hopkins about his work on the film. So, if you are Anthony Hopkins, or if you know him and think he might be amenable to talking for the podcast, if you could reach out and make contact, that would be amazing. If the worst comes to the worst, I could always just read from his autobiography with a bad Welsh accent. I'm sure that would be fine. As Andrina mentioned, she's written a book on the Jardine family, which you can purchase from her directly. One of Andrina's sons has also written a couple of books, the first of which is mentioned in this episode. The Way Home by Robin Scott Elliott is about the Anderson family and the First World War. Robin also has a book coming out in October called The Tsar's Curious Runaways. It sounds absolutely wonderful. I've put a link in the notes and on the webpage with more info. As these podcasts take quite a lot of time to make, I'm looking to fundraise through donations, So, if you feel like it, and you're able to, please feel free to donate the cost of a cup of coffee, or even the price of a coffee and scone at Anne MacDonald's wonderful hen house over at Fanmore on the way to Alva Ferry, through the website. You'll see a Donate tab there, where you can donate if you so wished. I've also got a Patreon page for donations, which you can find under my name, Alistair Satchel. If you want to contribute to that, you're more than welcome. But don't worry if you can't donate or you don't want to. I'd much rather you listen than not. On that note... Thank you very much to those of you who've donated and supported the podcast in the recent month. Joe, Alan, Martin, Brigitte and the anonymous donor, thank you so much. I'd also like to thank Mull Community Council for their support. It's very much appreciated. And a special thank you to Mull Museum, 
who have given significant support to the podcast. If you're in downtown Tobermory, do go and have a look at Mall Museum. It can be found on the main street, just along from the Clydesdale Bank. They've got a wealth of objects and displays there that open up the history of our islands for both locals and visitors alike. And they've got a reading room there with practically every book ever written about Mull, Iona, Ulva, Erid and Gometra. I love it in there. I could get lost for hours in that book-lined room. Also, to help me grow the podcast, if you'd like to like or leave a rating or a review on whichever platform you use to listen, I'd be most grateful. Thank you to those of you that have. I really appreciate it. And thank you also to those of you who reach out to say hello. It's always wonderful to hear from you. Thank you. As ever, the webpage, whatwedointhewinter.com, has all the links and info you'll need from this episode, and we can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Cookie and Flavelle, who brought so much to life in Tobermory. Thank you for listening. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. More and tang, shinakate.